Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the All That To Say podcast. Around here, we talk about the hard stuff because I've been through a lot of it and so have you. And therapy has been a monumental part of my coping and my healing since I was in my early 20s. Well, BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time, schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. And if your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash all that to say. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash all that to say. Hey, sweet ones. Welcome back to the All That To Say podcast with me, your host, Elizabeth Klein. On this podcast, we talk about the hard stuff. A, because I've been through a lot of it. B, because most of you have too. And C, because I believe that God supports us and helps us and holds us and heals us when we're living in really painful marriages. Today, I'm going to answer a few common questions I've gotten over the years about living in a difficult marriage. These questions and my responses are based from my ebook, Surviving in a Difficult Christian Marriage, and I'll put a link in the show notes to that. So I'm jumping right in. Question, how do you confront your husband when he's in sin? The same way you eat an elephant, one bite at a time and very, very carefully. Somewhere along the way, I had gotten the impression that it wasn't my place to confront my husband for two reasons. First, I had it in my head that a man should do it. I have literally no idea where I came up with that one. And secondly, I thought, who am I to judge him? I'm a total nutcase, a complete mess. Another reason some might have that keeps them from speaking up is fear of what will happen if they do. I no longer believe that only another man can speak into the life of a husband. I believe part of what God meant for us when he calls us as the helpmate is to come alongside our partners and help them live holy lives as they would do for us. One of my favorite singer-songwriters, Sarah Groves, expresses this beautifully in one of my favorite songs, Different Kinds of Happy. It's a sweet, sweet thing, standing here with you and nothing to hide, light shining down to our very insides, sharing our secrets, bearing our souls, helping each other come clean. In fact, I even played this song for my daughter and niece and told them to look for this quality when choosing their husbands many, many years ago. Being able to ask each other the hard questions is part and parcel with a healthy marriage. You should be allowed to ask anything, and if you're not, that should be a concern. 
I totally get where I was coming from on the judging part though. None of us are sinless, but if we wait until we're completely without sin to point out something to someone who is going down a dangerous path, no one would ever hold anyone accountable for anything. If you are doing your best to walk with God, and if you are as current with him as you can be as far as your own faults go, and you have the obligation to help a fellow believer see the error of his ways, If your spouse is hurting you, someone else or himself, either physically, emotionally, or spiritually, it needs to be called out. Just make sure you are prayed up and ask the Holy Spirit to give you the right words and to give your husband a softened heart to accept your concerns. Now, if fear of fallout is what's holding holding you back, that should tell you something. And I totally get that. Though there are definitely topics of conversation that are harder to bring up than others, You should never be fearful of your spouse. If you are, that signals a bigger problem. If this is the case, then ask someone to have this difficult conversation with you, like a counselor, a pastor, or a friend of your husband's. It needs to be someone you can trust and someone who will make sure that what you have to say is heard. Listen, going to someone to tell them that they've hurt you or are hurting themselves is never easy but I really think it's part of what God wants for those of us living in community and trying to become more like Jesus. It's a burden, but it's also a sweet, sweet thing. Question. So apparently walking on eggshells equals enabling. If this is true, when I thought I was putting out fires, protecting my kids, keeping the peace, I was actually just helping him to control or get his way or keep his addiction going. Uh, yeah. To an extent, walking on eggshells, protecting your kids, covering up, trying to catch what's falling through the cracks, it's enabling. And yes, to an extent, these actions may have kept the cycle going. I know. Trust me, I know. That's a tough pill to swallow. But if I learned anything from my few years in 12-step recovery, it would be this. You absolutely must come to a place of showing yourself deep and constant grace and compassion, trusting that that's what God is doing with you. And here's why. You don't know what you don't know. Let me say that again. You do not know what you do not know. You did not know what you did not know. When you were making sure your electric bill got paid on time so that your lights didn't get turned off, you weren't thinking, I am so totally helping him not take responsibility for his family. You were probably thinking, my kids need electricity. When you were rushing your kids to bed so they wouldn't see their father stumble and drunk again, you weren't thinking, I'm so totally helping him keep getting drunk. You were probably thinking, my kids are too young and innocent to see this and think confusing thoughts about their daddy. In Al-Anon, they have a saying about your loved one's alcohol abuse. You can't cause it, you can't control it, and you can't cure it. I believe that can be said of mental illness, of abuses of all kinds, of infidelity, of any type of addiction of someone you love, really and truly. You did not make the person in your life do what they're doing, even if they tell you. You push them to this. You cannot make them stop their hurtful actions and you cannot cure what is ailing them because the thing that they're doing, there's a thing under that thing. If you can really let this settle in, 
this can bring immense relief. However, there will come a time when you will start to know what you didn't know, and it's this, that there are some things you can do and some things you shouldn't do. And they all pretty much fall under the heading, stop being your husband's Holy Spirit, mother, parole officer. Just stop. Jump off the merry-go-round. This is one of those simple but ridiculously hard things to do, especially if you've been doing this dance for a long time, and especially if you've gotten really good at it. It may mean letting the electricity get turned off. I know, crazy hard. It may mean letting him drive to work in the car that he just crashed up the night before, as opposed to giving him your car so you have to drive around in the banged up one. It may mean if his work calls because he didn't come in again, you don't tell a lie to cover for him. It may mean if your children ask what's wrong with daddy, depending on their ages, you tell them what's true and appropriate for them to know. It may mean taking the car keys out of his hand or refusing to get in a car with him if he's been drinking. It may mean walking through the doors of Al-Anon or Celebrate Recovery and getting the help you need to cope with what seems out of control and completely unmanageable in your life. It may mean breaking your silence and asking someone for help until you get it. Now that you are beginning to know what you didn't know, it's going to be time to do something about it. It's going to be time to wise up and it's time to stand up to evil, to sin, to perpetuating dysfunction. You can do this. You have what you need, the power of Christ dwelling within you to turn some things around. Question. I'm tired of being married and so alone. Tired of making so many tough decisions by myself, going to bed by myself, talking to myself. What helps with the loneliness? I remember a conversation I had about five years into my first marriage. It was a debate with a single friend. We were comparing lonelinesses. And I said, there is nothing lonelier than married lonely. I think I won the argument. There came a point in my marriage when I made most of my own decisions, even regarding the kids. When I went to bed alone more nights than not, when I was my own closest companion. Before I tell you what I did to attempt to stave off the loneliness, let me say this, it didn't always work. And I even have the benefit of being an introvert who thrives on solitude and alone time. But there were moments that I just felt lonely no matter what I did. There still can be. But I've been learning to be okay with that, to not feel the need to run from or cover up every emotion that's unsettling. Another notion from author Lauren Winner that I've let sink in is this. She says, maybe I should try to stay in the loneliness just for five minutes, just for 10 minutes. Maybe the loneliness has something for me. Maybe I should see what that something is sit with the loneliness and ask what it has for you. So I chose at some point to stop backing away from it, to stop reaching for something else, at least not always. It's okay to be lonely. 
it's okay to be sad. It's all right to sit with some tea and just look out the window sometimes. It's all right to lie in your bed and just cry for a little bit. There's nothing wrong with feeling the feelings you have. However, I did try a few things during my hard marriage to connect and to feel less alone. And maybe some of these can help you too. I joined a group. I became a part of a 12-step recovery group specifically designed for the major issue in my marriage. Being with people who understood me was a turning point for me emotionally. Being with people who didn't think I was crazy changed how I thought about myself and my life, and that weekly connection helped fill something inside of me that had been missing. I made plan Bs. If he and I had plans to do something, whether it be as a couple or a family, and I was canceled on for whatever reason, which happened, I would have it in my head to go do something else or to take my kids anyway. This came later on in the marriage after years of blaming someone else for my circumstances. I realized that I still could go on and do even if my partner didn't want to go on and do or wasn't able to. I was intentional about getting together with my friends one-on-one and in small groups. I tried to do a girl's night out once a month. I met another friend for dinner monthly. I made sure that I wasn't sitting alone in my house all day, every day, all evening, every evening. I took the initiative to keep in close contact with my dearest friends through time together, calling, texting, emails. I started to do things on my own that I liked to do, even trying new things. Uh, During our separation, my then husband would spend Sunday afternoon back in our home with our kids and had asked me to not be there. So I had six hours to fill. I would sometimes get together with a friend or use that time to write, but other times I'd go to a movie by myself, go out to eat by myself. I even took the train to another town to explore by myself. And this was good for me. It was scary, but it was good. But mostly I told God when I was lonely I would read sad psalms. I would listen to sad songs. I would just tell him out loud what I was feeling and that I didn't like it and it wasn't fair. I would cry myself to sleep sometimes. It wasn't pretty. It didn't always garner an immediate result of vanishing loneliness, but it was honest and real and true. Bottom line, loneliness is part of the package of a difficult marriage. Sometimes you can do something about it and sometimes you can't. Sometimes you just need to sit with it and trust that it will pass. It will probably come back around again, but if you ask God to teach you to enter in, you might gain something from it, a strength, a quiet confidence, even a peace. Question, how do you maintain hope that the marriage will be healed in the face of such disappointment, and recurring pain? Well, it depends. Let's say your company has been hit hard by the economy. Layoffs are happening left and right. Your department is next. You're lowest in the pecking order, and you've just found out that there's been corruption in leadership, so doors will be closing soon. Everyone is getting fired. Soon there will be no company. Should you maintain hope that your job will be spared? But say you just found out you have stage one cancer. It was caught 
super early. Your doctor gives you great odds to beat this thing. You do all the treatments and go back six months later to find out there's not one trace of cancerous cells in your body. Can you maintain hope that your life will be spared? I'd ask you to shift your perspective a bit. We are told all throughout scripture to have hope, to hold on to hope, but we are never told to place our hope on a circumstance. God can do anything. God can do anything, but we just don't know what that anything will be. So I would encourage you to not set your sights on your marriage turning out the way you want it to be. Now, this doesn't mean do nothing to save your marriage. As my youth pastor's wife used to say to me years ago, God doesn't typically move park cars. You should still absolutely do everything you can to save your marriage. But also, and instead, set your sights on God. Place your hope in God. Choose to believe not that God will fix your marriage because we don't know if he will or not and because it takes two to fix a marriage, but instead choose to hope in God for who he is. And who he is is this sweet girl in a hard marriage. God is your redeemer. He will redeem and use any and every single situation in your life if you let him, whether your marriage is restored or whether your marriage comes to an end. God is your husband. He loves you with an everlasting love that doesn't change based on his mood or what you do or do not do, whether your marriage is restored or ends. And God is your deliverer. Beth Moore says God will either deliver you you from your situation, deliver you through your situation, or deliver you on home. But regardless, he will deliver you, whether your marriage is restored or ends. We don't know what will happen in our marriages, with our health, with our jobs, to our children. But we know and we love a never changing God who is steady and firm and holds our hand through anything. And he is so faithful and he is so good. So over and over and over, keep refocusing your hope in and on him and him alone, not on your circumstances. Let me pray. Dear Jesus, You know how clearly I can remember the pain of living in my difficult marriage, how desperately I tried to untangle the marriage knots day in and day out, how exhausted I was, how confused I was, how angry I was, how scared I was, how sad I was. So I come to you with such a tender heart on behalf of this sweet and precious woman listening right now. 
if she's listening and if this has resonated, this means she's in a difficult marriage and her heart is so heavy. I place her in your lap. I ask that you will fill her with your comfort and your peace. I ask that you will replace her exhaustion with your rest and her confusion with your clarity and your wisdom. I ask for healing for her marriage. I ask for healing for her heart. I ask for healing for her family and her children. I ask that you will bring the help and counsel around her that they all need. I ask that you will remind her that you see her and you hear her and you are with her. But most of all, I ask that you will remind her in deep and intimate and tangible ways every single day that you love her completely and perfectly and that there's not one thing she can do or say to make your love grow or lessen. Amen. I will post a link in the show notes to my marriage methods and decision time e-courses and a couple other resources. As always, if this episode or the All That To Say podcast has been meaningful to you, would you consider sharing it or subscribing to it or rating it or reviewing it? Any of these mean so much to me. And every time someone does even one of these things, it helps me reach even one more woman with the help and hope and healing and love of Jesus. So sweet ones, all that to say, no matter your marital status, you are the unconditionally beloved daughter of God, and he is so delighted with you. You came into this world and you start each day already completely loved with no other loves to beg for and nothing to prove to anyone. Till next time, so, so much love. If you are in a difficult marriage and feel alone, or if you know someone who is, I have written two books that will bring deep resonance and encouragement my first and only novel, World Split Open, and Surviving in a Difficult Christian Marriage. You can find the links to both of those in the show notes.